When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. It's Tom Bilyeu here. And if you are addicted to the relentless pursuit of greatness, then I've got something special for you guys. The Motivation Daily Podcast by Motiversity. It's your daily fix of motivation, inspiration, and wisdom featuring the best speeches and speakers on the planet. We cover it all. Life, business, relationships, discipline, purpose, mental health, sports, studying, focus, you name it. With exclusive speeches from heavy hitters like Coach Payne, Billy Allsbrooks, Marcus Taylor, Dr. Jessica Houston, Walter Bond, and more. If you're ready to take control, level up, or just crush your day, then Motivation Daily Podcast is your secret weapon. Search for the Motivation Daily Podcast and follow wherever you listen to amazing podcasts. Hey everybody, welcome to another episode of Conversations with Tom. I am here with somebody I think you guys are gonna find utterly fascinating, the one and only Michaela Peterson. Michaela, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for having me on, this is exciting. Man, of course. So uh, you obviously have come to prominence for two very interesting things. Number one is the lion diet, which I'm sure we will get into, but is definitely not where we're gonna start. And then the other is your dad, Jordan Peterson. Um, but you are far more interesting than either of those two things. And so I'm really interested to talk. We've spent time, I've been on your podcast. Um, we've had some business-related conversations going on, which I have found you incredibly professional um, and easy to deal with. So I know sort of both of your hats of sort of public intellectual and you know CEO of your dad's company. So. Um, I've gotten maybe a little bit of a glimpse into something more than people would see if they've just encountered you in the media. And what I want to talk about is life architecture, Okay. which is, I'm sure I have to explain. So the way that you've built your life to me is atypical. You, you have said of yourself that you're not afraid to be a contrarian. You're not afraid to... Um, you know, go counter to what people tell you. And so you've created a pretty interesting life for yourself. I think the best place to start to explain that is in a day and age where people are having kids later and later and later in life, you chose as a ambitious person, as far as I can tell, to have kids in your 20s. So why don't we start there? How thoughtful was that? Was that accidental? Was it something you put a lot of thought into? Oh, that's an interesting place to start. Uh, that is a very complicated story, actually. Uh, Scarlet was an accident. So I was in university. Uh, I'd done two years in psychology and then I'd switched over to biomedical science and I was in my second year uh, and I got pregnant and I kept her because I couldn't emotionally handle any other option. Uh, and it was extremely stressful because I was, so I was 23 when I got pregnant. And my life plan was to have kids ideally before the age of 30. Um, but I'm also, like you said, very career oriented. And I was in my second year of university. So that was not ideal for, you know, when to have a kid. Um, <laughs> but, <laughs> but 
I decided to keep her and I ended up dropping out of university and then doing part-time work for my dad and which turned into full-time work very rapidly when Scarlett was about six months old. But the choice to have, I didn't really feel like I had a choice. Like I, I ended up, um, when I, when I got healthy, I stopped taking all my medication, including birth control. Because you were worried about what it was doing to you from a gut perspective? Yeah. Well, not even from a, from a gut perspective, but also from a psychological perspective. Like my mom told me that when she'd gone on birth control, it had made her severely depressed and she hadn't recognized that until she stopped taking it. Uh, and I kind of laughed that off, but, um, I started taking birth control when I was 14 and I was severely depressed. So I thought, who cares if you add another pill on top of it, I'm already depressed. Um, which was like an immature way of thinking about it, uh, as a 14 year old might. But when I was 23 and I stopped taking my medications and I got healthier, I was like, I don't want anything impacting my mental function. Mm. And so I stopped taking birth control just in case it was. And I do believe that I was having, um, I do believe it was causing depression. Uh, but it, it wasn't the only thing in my life that was causing depression at that point. But yeah, I did stop taking it and that ended up resulting in Scarlett, whom I'm thrilled to have, but it definitely put a bit of a kibosh on the direction I thought my life was going to take. However, it ended up not being a negative thing. It ended up being a positive thing, but it was scary. Yeah, there's a lot of interesting stuff in that. So one, is your were you married at the time or not? I was not. And is Andre the father? I was not father? married at the time. Yes. So... So Andre and I were um, Andre and I were dating for eight months at that point, and at that point I hadn't. I was twenty three. I was really looking into my health uh, and trying to optimize that, and I wasn't really focused on a long term relationship because I was twenty three and I was focused on other things. And I was like, you know what? I have time to figure that out later. Like I'll figure that out uh, by the time I'm maybe twenty six or twenty seven or twenty eight even. Um, and I can start thinking about that, but I ended up having to think about that a lot faster because Scarlet came around. Now that's interesting. That puts a lot of pressure on a relationship though. And when I think about, so I look at you and I could be totally delusional. I don't know you well, but when I look at you, it seems like a lot of thought goes into the decisions that you make. Um, and so as you approached marrying Andre, given the sort of complexities of having a child, did that weigh in the decision? Like, did you, were you more prone to marry him because he was the father of your child or were you like, no, that doesn't matter? Oh no, a hundred percent. I was really, I was really stressed out about being an unmarried mom, like really, really stressed out and felt, you know, societally pressured into it. Really? We moved. Oh yeah. And you know what? Um, This was a bit skewed because if it was me now, and I went back in time, I probably wouldn't, I certainly wouldn't have felt that way. Um, but I'm much more confident now. At the time I was dealing, I was actually dealing with serious, this gets complicated, serious uh, SSRI withdrawal. Hmm. So my anxiety was ridiculous. So I was thinking about a whole bunch of things that I shouldn't have been concerned about. And that most certainly influenced my decision making at the time. Because you had an impending sense of doom? Yeah, because I had an impending sense of doom for about, yeah, a year and a half, two years after I stopped taking SSRIs. 
That is super interesting. So now you guys have obviously navigated those waters. You've been together for years. You're having a second child. Is that accurate? That is not accurate. We are not. That may be happening in the future. Okay, so you're you're open to having a a second child. I'd heard you in an interview say, we will definitely be having more, or I'm definitely going to have more, I think maybe the more accurate quote. That was probably the more accurate quote, yes. We've been navigating. It's difficult because we've been, man, like he's been with me through me coming off of psychiatric medication, which was a trip and a half that I would not recommend anybody go through the way I did. Uh, So he's been with me through that. He was with me through taking care of my dad in the last year and a half and the trauma and stress that has to do with those experiences has been hard to navigate Mm -hmm. with a relationship, to say the least. It's been tricky. So one thing I'd love to hear more about is um, the growing confidence. And I am really surprised. And again, this comes back to just we're really just now getting to know each other. But... um, I'm really surprised, given your public persona, that you felt societal pressure to get married or to not have a child out of wedlock. Um, What was it, just the judgment of it all or something else? Honestly, I think the, uh, I wouldn't underestimate the SSRI withdrawal I had. I think that the anxiety and the, this, this horrifying impending sense of doom I had, like I said, for about two years after I stopped taking the SSRIs, I think I was looking into aspects of my life to try and identify what was causing uh, my reaction. Because when you get anxious, you try and identify what in your life is making you anxious. And so I had, you know, my, my dad was randomly getting controversially famous, which was incredibly stressful for my family. So that was a real source of stress. And then I had a surprise pregnancy which is, was a serious, real source of stress. Uh, and I think I was partly trying to reduce the amount of chaos in my life uh, in any way possible. And then, yeah, I was definitely, I definitely partially felt pressured. Um, there was some family pressure and there was some kind of neighborhood pressure. We moved to this it wasn't a suburb of Toronto because it was still in Toronto, but it was kind of on the outskirts and everyone there was 35 and they had kids and I was pregnant and they were like, there was judgment there about not being married. And there was also like, what do you do as a job? Which is a weird thing to ask a pregnant person, which is like, what do you do as a job? Well, like currently I'm having a child, like that's my job at the moment. Um, So I think I was just trying to reduce the amount of chaos in my life by making things as ordered and structured as possible. And one of the things I thought might help and my family thought might help was getting married. Mm. And did that help? No. <laughs> That's interesting. Just because of the, the difficulties inherent in a relationship? Yeah. And the fact that it was new and we didn't know each other that well. And the fact that there was, instead of going through, you should like, it really is worth going through the steps of a relationship, right? Where you get to know each other and then you have some sort of trust foundation and you make sure that your, you know, your future goals align. Maybe those are the steps before you get married. And we skipped a whole bunch of them and had to do the second parts after, uh, which was, and we were young. Like most people, 
I, I mean, it was different before, but most people I know now, like lots of people are getting married in their mid thirties and having kids. Mm. So th- we could have been easily 10 years ahead of other people uh, and 10 years you know, less mature and just with less, you know, experience. So it was tricky. It's been tricky for sure. Yeah, it's interesting. I broke all my own rules, which of course I didn't have rules in my early 20s, but I met my wife when I was 24. She was 21 and we ended up getting married. She was 22 still uh, and I was what, 26? So now I tell people, hey, you should not get married until you're at least 30 years old. Um, and you know, I ended up not having kids, but I was like, definitely don't have kids before you're 30. Um, just because there's so much maturation that has to happen. There's so many like coming up with your own rule set and just having experienced more of life and sort of getting yourself oriented in a more useful way. So I can only imagine, you know, what all of the sort of exacerbations that come with the, you know, juvenile arthritis and all of the crazy immune struggles that you've had, plus SSRIs, um, plus the so weird rise of, I can't imagine if all of a sudden when I was, you know, whatever, 23, that my dad became world famous, uh, that would be surreal to say the least. Yes. It's been tricky. The one thing though, about having a kid early is if you, I'm not sure if this happens, but if you wait until you're 30, I feel like a lot of people go through um, a lot of self-discovery and self-improvement around that age. And then if you get too involved in that, maybe you miss the opportunity to have kids. But if you're under the age of 25 and you're still immature and stupid, (laughs) that might be the chance you have. Um, We'll see what happens with me. But I think, I don't know, it's tricky. It's tricky because you either do it when you're young and immature and you don't know any better or you risk missing it, it, I think. Mm. And you're talking from a biological perspective. People just have such a hard time. Oh, yeah, that's what I mean. That's what I mean. I mean, women in particular. Um, but I mean, you, you wait until you're smart enough and you're 30 and then you have a, depending on the person, because some people have, can have kids later and there's, you know, in vitro now, but you can easily miss it. And I've had like parents of friends or family members miss it by waiting till they were 38 and then just being like, oh man, shit. Now that I've got my head on straight, it's too late. Mm -hmm. So it's hard to figure out if you should do it when you're young and stupid or wait, there's gotta be a good point somewhere. (laughs) You know, it's interesting that the advice I always got from my own parents and my in-laws who are just crestfallen that my wife and I have decided not to have kids. They've they've dealt with it now, but, you know, when that was sort of breaking news, uh, it was very hard for them to deal with. But they just kept saying there's never going to be a right time because that was my thing. Like, look, I'm in full build my business mode. I have no interest in having a child right now. And they were actually right in the sense that they said, look, you're you're always going to feel like there's something that you need to do first. Um, and I just got I finally had the realization, well, if I'm always going to feel like there's something else I would rather do, uh, then why have kids? And so I was very open to it for my wife's sake, because, you know, my sort of read on the situation was it'll be way more meaningful to her than it will be to me. Uh, but then she ended up going on her own journey and um, deciding that she didn't want kids. Uh, so, you know, that was when we officially decided not to have them. But what advice, knowing that I could not be more open and trust me, you will not distress me in any way, shape or form. If you're like every human should have children. But what do you think about that journey? Like now that you've done it, is it one of those where you're like, oh, my God, I never would have anticipated that this 
would be this important. But now that I've done it, here's what I've learned. Uh, I think I could have easily been one of the people that waits too long because I'm so career oriented. Um, because even at the moment, I'm like, oh, the podcast is really getting going. I have so much opportunity. I'm working like 12 hour days uh, and I enjoy it. Uh, I didn't enjoy pregnancy. Like I, some women enjoy pregnancy. I didn't enjoy it, um, possibly because of the SSRI withdrawal or the new relationship or any of the other uncertainties in my life, but I didn't enjoy it. So, uh, so however, uh, I don't love anything in the entire world as much as I love Scarlett. So having that is makes like any of the difficulties worth it. And I don't think I would have, and I wouldn't have gotten that unless that accident had happened. Mm -hmm. So I think, I don't know. I think that people who don't have kids probably don't know what they're missing. Cause I think the relationship between a parent and a child is so strong. It's unbelievable. But then if you don't know what you're missing, then does it matter? I'm not sure. I'm not entirely sure. Um, I want more kids for sure, just because of the bond I have with Scarlett, but the things I'm going to have to give up is going to hurt for sure. Uh, because I really like work and I'm going to be able to see opportunity that I'm not going to be able to pursue because I'm spending time being pregnant and breastfeeding and staying at home. Uh, even though I wouldn't stay at home for like the whole childhood. Um, but so it's a trade-off, but I mean, everything in life is a trade-off. So what can you do really? Yeah, that, that is an interesting concept to me. Um, you know, this idea that there is no sort of right or wrong way. There are only trade-offs. There's a guy named Thomas Sowell. I don't know if you've ever heard of him or not, but, um, I that, do indeed. Oh my God. He's so interesting to me. And his obsession is getting people to understand life is a trade-off. Like you can't have, he's usually talking yeah. about policies. You can't have these policies and expect a utopia on either side. Like it's all just a trade-off. And so now asking yourself, which of the sort of bags of good and bad do I want? Um, and, you know, making your decision in a more sort of realistic way um, is how you have to think. So as a voice for um, modern women, which are in a very interesting time, and I, I may mean that in the way of this sort of Chinese curse of may you live in interesting times, but it is, uh, <laughs> it is a very interesting moment where you have two really competing visions. You can take the more traditional path and prioritize motherhood and you know, give that your time and attention. You can be a total career person or you can do both. And how do you think about that? Like as you talk about working 12 hour days, right? There's only so many hours of Scarlet's awake. So some of those mm -hmm. hours now are given to work and aren't given mm -hmm. to her. And so how do you find that balance between I don't love anything as much as I love her, including business. But at the same time, for some reason, I'm pulled to, to have some of that in my life. That is a very good question. And that was so hard on me. Um, but I've more come to terms with it now. And so what I've decided is whatever life I can make for myself that makes me the happiness, happiest means that when I'm around her, all she sees is a joy-filled mother. And so that's what I want. And if that means fewer hours spent with Scarlett, but a happier me, that's better for her. Um, the alternative would be me giving up some of my passions, 
spending more time with her and possibly ending up resentful towards a child, which is the worst thing you can do for a kid. So I was like, whatever decisions I make need has to avoid any type of resentment because being around resentful people is just terrible. So I talked to some of the more career oriented women in my family. So my mother's, my mom stayed home with me, which made me feel terribly guilty about doing any work. Um, not that my mom didn't work, but she was really was a stay at home mom. So it made me feel really guilty about wanting to pursue work. Because you loved it that she stayed home? I didn't know any different. And I was told that that was the right thing to do. So yeah, I loved my mom being at home, but I didn't have any other experience. So I don't know what the other experiences would be like. Um, my two aunts were like pharmacist and nurse practitioner. And both of them got nannies and went back to work when their kids were fairly little, like two, something like that. Um, and so I had calls with them when I was really, you know, what I was doing actually is I was working for my dad full time with a baby on me. And I was just like, this is really, this is a lot to do. Um, and so I got a nanny after talking to one of my aunts who said, you know what, I've talked to my kids, you know, I've felt I have had waves of guilt about it. I've talked to them about it and said, you know, should I have been there more? Did I miss things? And she said, all of her kids who are my cousins who are super successful, like funny people, not traumatized or anything. Um, they're like, no, you were like, we saw you the the hours you spent with us were when you were happy. And we saw you know, a woman who could go out and work, which was, you know, good for them to see. And so I think, I think it depends on the woman. I think if you want to stay home with your kids, stay home with your kids, that's going to be great for them. But if you want to do something else, and then you end up staying home with your kids, and then you're resentful at home, that's toxic. So do whatever that helps you avoid that. And I'm fortunate enough, and I work hard enough that I'm able to um, work and have a nanny. And then the other point I'd like to make is the nanny we have right now, her name's Uli, uh, and she's not like, she's not a normal nanny. She's one of my best friends. She's somebody I trust with my child. She's absolutely incredible. She's really smart. So we seriously lucked out. And before we found Uli, I was not that, com I was m more guilty and not as comfortable with leaving Scarlet with other people. I was like, you know what? She'd probably be learning more from me. I don't know if these people, no offense to them, but I don't know if these people are very smart. Maybe you, sh you want your kid to be around smart people, right? Um, so finding Uli was just unbelievable. So now I'm like, Scarlett doesn't care. She has fun. Like every day, she just has fun all day. She learns a ton of things. She goes out to museums and then she comes home. She has fun with me. Like she goes to bed. We get up in the morning, like, She's thrilled about everything. She's the happiest kid I've ever seen, which I credit partly to her diet. <laughs> but things I've managed to work it out. So I think that you can do both, but it's way harder than choosing one. And there's going to be pitfalls either way. Mm. Now, do you get shade thrown at you for having a nanny? Yeah, but I don't care about those people. Like those yeah. people don't know. I do for sure. But, or, or you get told, well, there are some things that are true though, right? You get, you get, I've read statistics about, you know, you leave your kid in daycare and it can cause cer certain problems growing up. 
or, or getting a nanny is bad for kids because of X or having a separated family is bad for kids because of X. But at this point, I really believe that what I've set up here is more like having extended family. So I think if you can set it up so that it's more like extended family, there's nothing wrong with that. I mean, people used to live in groups, like this isolated two-person couple with no grandparents and no aunts and uncles and no cousins is abnormal for humans. Like people used to grow up with a whole bunch of other kids and with cousins and aunts and uncles and grandparents. Lots of kids were raised by their grandparents. And so expecting one couple and particularly one mother to do that entire job is absurd. So I think if you can, if you can, especially if you're lucky enough to be able to hire people that you trust and that your kids like, and then it turns into more of a extended family, I don't see what's wrong with that. So I get some hate, but I mean, I get a lot of hate from morons that don't really care about. It's interesting to me. I've heard you talk a lot about people that throw shade at you and you'll do exactly what you just did, which is, you know, I don't really listen to the people that are, you know, just attacking me, but actually there, some people come at you with things that are real and you're so um, sort of even handed about that, which I find that that's why um, in dealing with you in business and the other encounters that I've had with you, it's, it's always very even keel. So it was the same thing. So I don't know if you know, but I originally, I didn't, your dad, um, somebody had presented your dad to come onto my show in the early days of my show. And I said, no, because my marketing director at the time was like, no, 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 he's really misogynistic. And I was like, well, shit, I don't want somebody misogynistic on my show. And then yeah. I went and actually watched his videos because his name just kept coming up. And I was, I realized I had formed an opinion about somebody without knowing anything about them. So I was like, let me just go check this guy out. There's no way he's coming up this often if he's just like a total psychopath. And I start watching his content and I was like, huh? Like this guy is so even keel. Like I don't understand how people have created this sort of weird caricature of who he is. Um, I found that very, very surprising. And so in the face of sort of all that criticism to be able to be even keel, to be able to say, well, 80% of that argument doesn't make sense, seems, you know, ad hominem, they're just attacking me for whatever reason. But hey, that, there's actually 20% in there that's interesting and I need to pay attention to that. How do you keep that open mind? Is it just something that you've, you're, I mean, given obviously who your parents are, do they train you to do that? Like, where do you come to that open-mindedness? Um, I mean, part of that's gotta be personality. Um, I know with my, I know I'm extremely open. Uh, to new ideas. However, I think what happened was when I started to delve into diet and I ended up putting my autoimmune disorder into remission with diet, which is something that I was repeatedly told by the medical system was impossible, wasn't even worth looking into. When nice. I managed to put myself into remission, I didn't believe anything I used to believe. So I thought, if I'm wrong about the most important aspect of my entire life, what else am I wrong about? Like, what what else am I looking at that isn't real. So then I was like, it, it got really bad for a couple of years where I didn't trust anything I thought. Like I was like, I, I don't trust the government. I don't trust any figures of authority. Like I don't trust what they're teaching in universities. I don't trust medical school. Like it was everything. Uh, and it's gotten a little bit better since I've, it's gotten a little bit better. I'm still fairly distrusting of institutions and authority figures but it's better. Um, so when I get criticism, I'm always thinking, okay, well, I could be wrong. And it was always what I was most sure about that I was wrong about. 
or was like, no, this is definitely this way. If I ever had that, like, I don't know, I can kind of identify the feeling now. It's like an emotional, it has to be this way. Then that's where I'm, that's usually where I'm making an error. So I'm, I'm pretty careful. Um, that being said, I think that my online presence is far more even keeled than I am in reality. Like you guys aren't seeing the tweets I'm deleting. <laughs> <laughs> so, so that's probably just because I don't know. That's just because you guys aren't seeing the inside picture. But even that, like the ability to talk about that, I find uh, incredibly interesting. I just interviewed, do you know who Danny Trejo is, the actor? Yeah, I do. It, for people that don't know the name, they would certainly recognize him. He's the most killed actor in cinema history. So he's died some just ungodly number of times on screen. And he wrote a biography, which is really good. And he does not make any attempt to make himself look good. He's just like, I mean, he, he was a violent criminal when he was young and he just like lays that shit out lays out his drug nice. use lay i mean just like crazy crazy stuff and there's something so disarming about that where you're like okay i actually believe the things that he says about himself that i admire because he was so honest about the things that yeah. don't make him look great and you've talked a lot about being a volatile personality uh I, I'm assuming that's what you're talking about. Do you actively try to manage your volatility or do you just go, hey, that's a part of me and it is what it is? Um, both. So I, I think that I wouldn't be as volatile except that I took SSRIs for like the developmental years of my life. So age like 11 to 22. Do you think that made you more volatile or the immune 100%. reaction? 100%. No, I think it was the SSRIs. It's hard to say because I went on SSRIs because I was exhibiting psychiatric symptoms that needed to be treated, right? So it wasn't like I was just randomly medicated. I was suicidal when I was in grade five. And right. I think that was probably from the inflammation and the autoimmune disorder and my body just freaking out. Um, but then I was medicated and over the years I got more and more and more and more and more volatile. And I've spoken with hundreds and hundreds of people who've taken psychiatric medications and volatility specifically seems to be something that happens with SSRIs or SNRIs. Uh, so I, I think that I got medicated pretty heavily through my developmental years and that exacerbated my volatility because it, it doesn't feel quite right. Like when, when I kind of spike and I know people get angry and they spike, but my spikes seem to come sooner than they should. So I'm pretty, I'm getting more and more aware of when it happens, but it's um it's still difficult to navigate. And I have a lot of a lot of trauma from being sick and watching my family be sick. And so, at the moment, yeah, I'm actively trying to navigate. Oh, that's a response to, like I I, I know people people hate on trigger warnings and things, um, which I understand, but I am identifying what kind of behaviors trigger me and then send me into kind of a stress mode. And if I go into stress mode, it's interesting. This is something I've just recently figured out is something stressful will happen. And I'll be like, ah, oh, that's weird. I'm fine. And then 25 minutes later about, I'll get this brain fog and I'll be like, okay, I can't think anymore. Like I can't think it's like my brain has like left my body. And now I'm just like walking around in this haze of fog. And so that's a specific stress response I have now. So I'm trying to figure out how to hop out of that fog haze 
or how to identify a stressful situation before that 25 minute period has passed and then the brain fog kicks in. So I have ways like exercise and Wim Hof breathing and cold dips and saunas um, and I write and I do things I like, like podcast, but it's tricky to navigate. Like brains are so complicated and I was medicated for so long that I didn't have a chance to learn my response to things. And now I think it's been colored by SSRIs, but that's me now. So I'm okay with that. That's really interesting. Trauma is utterly fascinating uh, in terms of, especially if it occurs early, the way that it actually rewires your brain. Um, mm -hmm. I've never heard of the delayed sort of brain fog. That's really interesting. Um, is it a similar type of brain fog that you would get when you have eaten something that's thrown your immune system out of whack? Or is it more like fight or flight? It's not fight or flight anymore. I'm not sure if it used to be fight or flight, but it took me a while to figure out because what I would do is I'd get into a stressful situation and then it'd be like this delayed brain fog thing would happen. And I thought I had eaten something because it felt exactly the same. I was like, oh, I'm having a response to something again. But then I only eat like, I eat like two things. So then I started being like, well, maybe there was something on, you know, the meat I was eating. But then that stopped clicking. I was like, okay, there's nothing on this. So why am I having this brain fog? And that's when I started realizing, oh, it's because I had this freaking stressful, stressful day or a stressful conversation half an hour ago. Um, but that's, so that's annoying. It's really annoying to deal with. Like, these aren't things I want to deal with. I'm like, could that, could that just not happen? I don't have a couple of hours to figure out why I'm stressed out and why I have this brain fog to like go back and figure out what stressed me out. And I don't have a lot of patience with myself probably and emotional reactions to things. So I'm like, that's, I am too busy for that. I don't have time for that. Um, unfortunately my, my body disagrees. You have an obscene amount of self-awareness though, which I have to imagine is extraordinarily helpful as you work through these things. Um, have you always been yeah. self-aware? Is that something that you've cultivated later in life? You guys know I have a very strict diet that I stick to, except for very special occasions, and I do that so that I can bring my best every day to what I'm doing, and a big part of that strict diet is high-quality animal protein and my go-to source of trustworthy meats and seafoods with no added hormones or antibiotics ever is ButcherBox. ButcherBox is a premium meat subscription service that delivers 100% grass-fed beef, free-range organic chicken, pork raised crate-free, and wild-caught seafood all directly to your door. I cannot recommend ButcherBox enough. When you eat ButcherBox, you are giving your body the best possible building blocks to work with so you can reach your full potential. You've got to take care of yourself at a cellular level if you want to hit your peak consistently. So ButcherBox is the key. Sign up at butcherbox.com impact and get our special deal. ButcherBox is off Offering our listeners a free for a year offer plus an additional $20 off. And that means you can choose salmon, chicken breast, or steak tips free in every order for a year. Sign up today at butcherbox.com slash impact and use code impact to choose your free for a year offer plus get $20 off your first order. 
This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. You will never be able to reach your full potential if you are riddled with stress and have a lot weighing on your mind. I can tell you from my own experiences with stress and negative thought loops, you have to find a way to work through whatever it is that's weighing on you if you're going to have any hope of achieving your goals. Therapy can be an option for working through things and for an online therapy option that is super convenient and flexible, be sure to check out BetterHelp. With BetterHelp, everything is 100% online and getting started is quick and easy. A brief questionnaire matches you with a licensed therapist and you can switch therapists at any time for no extra charge. Get things off your chest, process through things with BetterHelp. Visit betterhelp.com slash impact theory today to get 10% off your first month. That's betterhelp, H-E-L-P.com slash impact theory. In today's highly unpredictable and rapidly changing world, the smartest move you can make from a financial standpoint is to actually understand how money works and how markets move. Because if you want to have any chance of investing your money wisely and growing your financial portfolio, you have to make a profit. And the only way that you're going to do that is either by setting and forgetting or actually understanding what's going on at a macro level. So whether you're a seasoned investor or someone looking for extra guidance, today's sponsor, Yahoo Finance, has got you covered with all the tools, data, and news that you need in one place to grow your knowledge base around what is happening in the world of finance and to make sure that you have the right goals and you're executing well. Yahoo Finance makes it easy to consolidate your accounts so you can effectively and efficiently manage your entire portfolio. Personally, I love how straightforward their platform is to use. It is very simple to get the information that I need. And Impact Theory's own chief financial officer is exactly the same, spending time helping me frame exactly what is going on from a global perspective so that I'm making the smartest decisions that I can. I definitely recommend that you check out Yahoo Finance for comprehensive financial news and analysis. Visit the incredible brand that so many great investors use at yahoofinance.com. It's the number one financial destination, yahoofinance.com. Once again, guys, head there now, yahoofinance.com. That came after the putting my autoimmune disorder in remission. Because when I was monitoring, like I was monitoring my body like a science experiment. So I was taking science in school. I was tracking like 14 different body symptoms twice a day on a spreadsheet, rating, rating them out of 10 twice a day. And so I had to like detach and monitor myself from the outside. And I did that every day for like maybe four years. So I started to identify like every tiny little thing that was happening. So that's, that was not natural. Like I think growing up sick, I actually actively avoided what was going on inside me. Otherwise I would have just been like, you know, help I'm in pain all the time, which Mm. isn't ideal. So I think I kind of avoided that. And then I, when I was trying to figure out the autoimmune problems, I went, you know, all in and did that for about four years. So that was definitely cultivated. And now I'm probably, no, I don't think I'm too aware. I don't know if you can become too aware. You can overreact to responses. I might overreact to some of my, like the brain fog being like, oh no, it's a food reaction. When it's like, oh no, that's stress. That's just stress. (laughs) Yeah, that's, yeah, that is really an interesting question. And my gut instinct is somebody who I, I went from very unself-aware in my sort of teens and early 20s to hyper self-aware 
in my late 20s, early 30s. And you really can, and maybe the way you're framing it is better, but you really can get functionally too self-aware. Now, maybe it's just that you're investing in it too much, um, but there's no question. Like I used to do stand-up comedy and I found it very easy before I developed hyper self-awareness. And I found it oh, yeah. very difficult after I became self-aware. You just become so aware of like every nuance of yourself, how you're coming across, what that person might think. And so my life has been this sort of weird uh, roller coaster of not self-aware and actually had a lot of really good things come from it. And then realizing, oh, actually this oh, lack of self-awareness has damaged these areas of my life. I'm now aware of them. Let me repair that. But in, and I would not change it for the world. I am much better off sort of on the hyper self-aware side. It's it, all of my business success is due to that. My ability to sort of constantly self-improve, but whoa, it is, you know, going back to the idea of trade-offs, there's a trade-off. Yeah, there definitely is. I think I was lucky to not lose certain aspects. Like when I, so that two year period after I stopped taking SSRIs, I couldn't, I really couldn't do anything. Like I, the things that I loved, I couldn't do anymore. Like I'm, I'm pretty good at public speaking, just kind of off the cuff. And that went away, but that was now, like, I know what that was. And that was stopping SSRIs suddenly. Um, after that, I kind of kept the self-awareness in regards to my body, but I don't have that as much, I don't think for better or for worse. Uh, I, I didn't seem to lose that for social speaking or for talking to other people. So I didn't have that hyper awareness about how I was looked at. And I think that's probably helped because of all the criticism I've had online. I'm like, you know, I don't care. I still think I'm cool. Like, so that part didn't switch. It was really physical, um, which is why I've had a hard time, I think, figuring out my emotional state because I've been identifying it too much with physical problems. When it's like when some of it is just the experience of emotions, which is physical too, but you know. Speaking of physicality, we're living through an utterly fascinating moment. And my wife has some of the similar um, topics to deal with that you do. So here I'm having these business exchanges with you. But if I go to your Instagram page, I'm going to see this combination of business and bikini photos. Same with my wife. She runs a multi-million dollar company, is, is an unbelievably gifted entrepreneur, but she's also sexy. And it is so interesting to watch women navigate that. And how do you think about that? Like what, I know you get a lot of um, hate. <laughs> for the fact that those photos exist. But I've also heard you talk about, and I went and audited your account, and it is absolutely true, that they get a massively disproportionate level of interaction. How do you think about that? And, and, and here's my real question. When somebody as intelligent as you understands the power of being sexy, how do you deal with that? Okay, so it used to make me angrier, um, and especially being in charge of my dad's business and having business conversations with particularly with men, but it's not just men. It's also with women uh, because of the way I look, I'm immediately put into this category of like stupid young blonde woman who has only, only had any type of influence because of her dad. 
right? So I, I immediately know what kind of little box I'm put into. And it used to make me really frustrated and angry. And now I just find it funny, mostly. So I've played up the, like we had a Times, just a terrible article written about my dad and I, and I was in that article way too much in the Times earlier this year. And she called me some sort of, what did she say? Pouting Barbie. And I, and And so I've decided to embrace it, really. Like, you know what? Yeah, okay, fine. I can do both. Sorry if that makes some people angry. But is it better? Like, is it worse than just doing one? Like, if I'm smart, do I have to be, like, frumpy? Like, is it it just one? And Instagram is tricky. So it's tricky because you're navigating, like, how to spread awareness about your brand And so I can put out these podcast clips, which is 95% of my content is podcast clip. uh, And they get interaction and people enjoy them. People share them. But then if I, you know, every freaking, I don't know, two months or three months put out a bikini photo, then, you know, a quarter of the comments are people like, how could you do this? How could you do this? And then (laughs) the other but then, it, it, like I, I said, it gets like 10 times as much engagement and then my followers grow and then more people become aware of my podcast. So I think I'd be stupid not to. Plus, I'm actually really, really proud of the fact that I look okay because I didn't look okay for a while. Like I had my hip and ankle replaced. My skin was like dying. I was really not okay. And I've managed to pull myself out of that like, exercise eat on this really strict diet to keep myself healthy and I look good. And so I also want to show people that, Hey, I went from, you know, that to this and you can too. It's not just me and showing how my body looks is a really effective way of doing that. Man, here is the dirty secret. Nobody wants to talk about. And I don't understand why nobody wants to talk about this. Humans care about bodies a lot. They care about their body. They care about other people's bodies. We, we are, we are hardwired to give a shit. We are hardwired to care about the bodies that we see on other people. And we are we are wired even more deeply to care about our own bodies. And I grew up in a morbidly obese family. The, the people that I love the most in this world are morbidly obese. So I don't have any judgment. I love those people, whether they're in shape, out of shape, whatever. I literally couldn't give a shit. I don't love them more or less. So to me, it's not about worth or value. It is about guys. We're all playing a game of psychology. And one of the most yeah. potent elements of that is, is the, the physical body that we walk around in and the way that people respond to it. And I will just speak to guys for a second, since I don't know what it's like to be an attractive woman, though I feel like I would rule the world if I was an attractive woman. But when you add muscle, not only do women react differently to you, guys react differently to you and any guy that is unwilling to admit the following truth. When you get into an elevator, you go, which of these motherfuckers could I beat up? And which of these guys would be a problem for me? And I like in the boardroom everywhere, everyone is like, there's that just subconscious routine that like it it is an echo of evolution, but the reality is it's there. And so I feel very differently about myself when I, and I hate the gym, but I feel very differently about myself when I'm strong and can lift heavier weights and when I look better and, and I haven't told this story in a long time, 
But there was one point I was so hardcore about my diet that I was ripped six pack abs, the whole nine. I was at a pool party. A woman swam across the pool, crawled up out of the pool, turned to my wife and said, can I pet his abs? And I was just like, this is the most like I, I've done incredible things in business. Nothing compares to the woman crawling out of the pool, asking my wife if she can pet my abs. It was crazy. And it's like it's so petty and maybe I shouldn't. That's but so it was funny. amazing. And so, yeah, like looking at my wife and being like, look, you're super hot. Do your thing. Like be both right. Be both intelligent and show people that, you know, what you're doing, running a business. But don't be afraid to be beautiful or sexy. Like, I don't understand people that try to shut that off. Yeah, it's interesting because it seems to be the same. It's funny. It's funny. So the people I usually get criticism from are more conservative men and women. It's not just men, it's conservative men and women that like give me shit about bikini photos. And it's also conservative men and women that are like, you know, why are why are women nowadays? Why do they have short hair that's dyed blue? Like what happened to femininity? And it's like you can't have both. You're going to like make fun of someone for trying to I don't know, portray femininity or or be you know Marilyn Monroe-esque or type of Barbie or like whatever. You're gonna give them criticism for that but then also complain about the fact that women are shaving their heads. Like choose one, but anyway, it's probably different people complaining about the same thing. But yeah, I don't know. I'd say do both if you can do both. And people are hardwired to look at attractive people. People are hardwired to think that attractive men are smarter than they are. Right. Like That's there's a correlation so between. Yeah, there's a correlation between how attractive you are and how intelligent you are, partly because how, how good looking you are and how intelligently you're perceived or there's actually a connection between good looks and intelligence. I don't know. I won't I won't wouldn't be able to comment on that. From what I remember, I'm going to go out on a limb here. No, I'm not. I'm not going to say that <laughs> from what I've read, men go after attractive women and women go after smart men. So logically speaking, you'd end up with hotter, smarter people if that's how it works. But I don't think, at least not recently, I don't think I've read a study that actually confirms that. The difference between hearing like one study that comes out with this really fascinating finding and then can it be repeated? <laughs> that's a whole different thing. But uh, going back to people will find other people attractive on my first date with my wife, I was like, look, I'm always going to find other people attractive. And if that freaks you out, like you're not dealing in the real world. And if you are asking your partner to pretend that they quote unquote only have eyes for you, I'm like, you're going to be so insecure because you know that you find other people attractive. And so if you know you find other people attractive, then you're going to assume that they find other people attractive, but they always say, no, 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 I only have eyes for you. It's like, that's how people get into these deeply insecure states. So I told my wife, look, I'm always gonna find other people attractive, but I'm not gonna do shit about it because I'm into you. Like I wanna be in a relationship. Obviously I didn't say I'm committed to you on date one, but like, as we got serious, I was like, look, there's a difference between sexual attraction and commitment. I said, one day you're gonna be a bag yeah. of wrinkles, homie, and I'm still gonna be committed <laughs> to you, right? Because I wanna share a life with you. And that's like the commitment that I'm making is, will there be a hotter person coming along at some point? Yes, of course. Am I going to chase that person? No, I am not. Because I wanna know what life is like sharing this life with you. 
But the other day we were taking a shower together and I was just like, you know, I want to say thank you. You're in your 40s. You're still hot. You work your ass off to be in shape. And I wouldn't love you less if you didn't. But I'm like sincerely grateful that she takes such good care of herself. And it's like, yeah. I don't know, that's yeah. taboo or whatever. But to me, it's just that's just reality. Yeah, well, that makes total sense. I think you have to fall in love with somebody's brain, right? Because the brain's going to, well, going to stick around, hopefully, for as long as possible. Um, and looks aren't. But yeah, you can definitely, like, you can be a, if you get your diet right and you exercise, you can be hot for a really, really long time. Like, I, I think a lot of the, and this is definitely taboo to say, but a lot of the, oh, you know, as soon as you hit 40, you're not hot anymore. I think a lot of that is from people not eating properly and not exercising. And so, yeah, you're not going to be hot. But there are a lot of 25-year-olds that also don't eat properly and don't exercise and are also not hot. So I think if you stay healthy, I mean, who's that man? There's one woman, Grace and Frankie. Grace, what's her name? Oh, the show? Lily Tomlin and Jane Fonda. Jane Fonda. She is, she's hot. It's crazy. She's really old. She's in her 70s. She's got this crazy diet. Yeah, she's got this crazy diet. She's realistically, she's probably had a facelift, but who hasn't? So <laughs> she's got this crazy diet. She, and uh, she exercises all the time. She's still hot. So it's also how you act, too. Church. In fact, let's go back to your notion of confidence. I remember in college, there was a heavy set girl in our class. When I say that woman was sexy, like she was so confident. I was just like, damn, yeah, yeah. like the confidence was sexy. So you had said, okay, I wasn't confident. I became confident. What was that process like? Well, I've got this weird type of confidence where I'm insanely self-conscious, like insanely, absurdly self. I was not this self-conscious before. I don't know what happened. But one of the things I lost, I guess, maybe with this introspection or whatever you want to call it, was that type of self-confidence. So I can do public speaking, but I'm very self-conscious about how I look. Maybe that's from being on social media. That doesn't I'm help. not entirely sure. But uh, I don't know. I, I, I don't have like the pure, like I think if you saw me in person, I wouldn't, I guess depending on who I was talking to, I'm not sure if I would come off as that like self-confident person as much as social media makes it seem. Maybe I'm wrong. I don't know. I don't really know what I look like from the outside. To answer your question badly. <laughs> I'm not even worried about what it looks like from the outside. What I find interesting is so to me, confidence comes from competence, right? Like you're good at something and being good at that thing gives you a sense of. So th it's the exact way that I respond to people when they say, hey, what do you do when you don't have self-worth? And I'm like, the honest answer is you have to go do something you think is worthy because once you are doing something where you're like, hey, I don't give a shit what other people think. I'm out here helping people. I'm working hard to be valuable, not only to myself, but to other people. And like, for instance, if you've poured yourself into Scarlet and she's doing well and she's thriving and she feels loved and you know she feels loved and you know, sure she has her challenges but she's working hard to overcome them and you can just see she's got emotional stability and then somebody comes along and says, you're a terrible fucking mother. You're just like, look, it stings. I don't like that somebody's telling me that I'm a bad mother. Yeah. But to be honest, like you're not getting into my heart on this one because I know what's going on in her life. I know okay, how I much I pour myself into her. So. There's always going to be the sting of somebody saying that you're a loser, you're dumb, you're whatever. But when you know you and you are confident in you, meaning 
I believe doing these things are valuable and I do these things, right? And when you do that, now you have a sense of self. Now you value yourself because you do things you think are valuable. And that to me is the only way. It's always going to hurt a little bit when people say something, but it doesn't devastate a whole day or a week. I mean, it used to really fuck me up for a long time when somebody I respected said something negative about me because I didn't, I wasn't doing the things I needed to do to value myself. That's fair. I think I would still have a hard time if somebody re I respected said something negative about me, but yeah, um, I think it's important. I've done so much hard work, but I'm also, I'm 29. So this is, this is very recent, right? Like when I was, I started working for my dad when I was 26, I just turned 26. And that's when I started full-time work for my dad. And so I had no idea what I was doing. Like, I honestly had no idea what I was doing for a long time. And I learned really quickly and I talked to a lot of people and I was pretty obvious and blatant and honest about the fact that I didn't know what I was doing. So I was really, I was like a sponge about learning things. Mm -hmm. um, and then it took about, I think, two years and I was like, okay, now I'm talking to people and I might know more than these people I'm talking to. So once, once I had that awareness, then I think I got more confident and I've, and I'm around people that I trust now who I think have a better, more honest perception of me than I do from, from being me. And so I can listen to those people and they, you know, the positive ones anyway, are like, oh, no, you're, you're competent. You're a competent person. You're good at this. And so I'm starting to listen to more of that. Uh, but it's been tricky. I usually identify and compare myself to people who are like, it's really stupid. Like even for this, even for podcasting, I'm like, damn it. I've been doing this podcast for like a year. It hasn't been for very long. Right. And, and I'll, I'll go to, I'll go compare myself to somebody who's been doing it for 15 years and is like 10 years older than me. And I'll be like, why am I not there? And which is completely unreasonable. So I don't even know if that answered your question. I don't know how good I am at having a view of myself from the outside. I think I'm probably too hard on myself, but I also don't really know how to do kind of self-improvement and work on things without being a little bit too hard on myself. I think it's better to be a little bit too hard or even maybe a lot too hard than to end up going too easy on yourself and then not accomplishing anything. Although you might not even be the type of person that wants to accomplish a whole bunch. I don't think there's anything wrong with that either. If that's not what floats your boat. Homie, you are right in the middle of like the conundrum because it's so interesting. So as somebody that's, you know, whatever, a quote unquote influencer, the thing that I think a lot about is, hey, be careful taking advice from me because there are certain things I want from my life. And if you want the same things that I want, then my life will make a lot of sense. But if you want a stress-free life or you want to be the greatest dad of all time, I am a terrible person to take advice from. I work 93 yeah. hours a week. Exactly. I've decided not to yeah. have children. You know what I mean? So it's like, you really need to be thoughtful. But at the same time, the truth of the world is that it will be run by the most hardcore motherfuckers on the planet. Just... Yeah. is what it is. And I think, in fact, your dad gave me the most interesting idea ever, this reinterpretation of the meek shall inherit the earth. And when you think of the meek as being weak, it's always that just sounded so dumb to me. 
But when you go, actually, the ancient translation, and whether this is true or not, I cannot say, but the concept is so powerful that the ancient definition of meek was actually the person who was insanely skilled, had the potential to be violent, but kept their sword sheathed. Now, that person actually will inherit mm. the earth because that is the person you cannot push around. But yet they understand the need to bring people together or that, you know, like I think it was Bruce Lee that said, you have to win the fight without even fighting. Like you just have to be that much better, that much more confident that people understand. Yeah, I'm just yeah. going to back away from this one. And that to me is is super interesting. But the the sort of mess thing that you're dealing with is, all right. You don't need to be hardcore. That is not the only quote unquote path to heaven. There are amazing lives. And it's to not live. necessarily the happiest way to, to live. 100% depending on your personality. Yeah. For yes. sure. So many paths to live a, a truly happy life. But if you really want to run this bitch, then it's like, you're going to have to be ultra hardcore. And that's mm -hmm. where I, you know, somebody that doesn't have kids, it's like, well, the sort of, softening of everybody doesn't really matter to me. I know who ends up running things. It's the people that are hardcore, that are determined, that are um, aggressive, like eh, just is what it is. So if you don't want that and you want to throw shade at that, it won't matter. Like the people that figure that out are going to run the companies. They're, you know, just, they're going to take over. And, but I weep yeah. for other people because the process, what I think the meaning of life is, is to take your potential and turn it into meaningful skill set. And when you do that, to do that, I should say, you have to force yourself into an adaptation response. And the adaptation response takes a ton of pressure. Yeah, it's really stressful. I mean, I have like, I have waves going in between. I literally can't handle this. I literally can't work this much. Like I'm, this is half killing me. Like I can't handle this. And I'll have a day of that. And then I'll have like seven days of, this is awesome. I'm on top of the world. I figured out a whole bunch of problems. This is a breeze. I got this. I could do this forever. And then something will come up and be like, this is, in, this is an insane way to live. I can't do this anymore. It's going to kill me. I'm going to die early. And then I'll go like right back into that. Oh no, I've got this. I'm on top of the world. It's exhausting. Um, I'm, I think what I'm influenced by isn't just, isn't just like stature or power, but I'm really intrigued to see what can happen if I take advantage of all the opportunity I'm given and try my hardest at something. Like how far can I go just as me? And I'm really curious to see how far I can go. So that's what's, that's what makes me curious. And I think that started with, I think lots of people have that, but that started with, oh, I got rid of an autoimmune condition, like a serious one that I was supposed to have for life. If I can do that, what else can I do? Like how fit can I get? How rich can I be? Like how well known, um, Ideally, how many children, but we'll see. That's that's on the back burner. That's a complicated mess up there with, with the other goals. But uh, I'm just really curious about how, where I can get to. That That is the question that sits at the center of my life. Legitimately, the reason that I didn't retire when I exited my last company was because I wanted to see how far can I go? Like how much knowing what I know now, right? Rather than lamenting that I didn't know this stuff in my teens or twenties, now that I know it, like how far can I take this? How, how big of a thing can I build? How many lives can I impact? And scale to me matters. And I know a lot of people, yeah. people can think it's gross all they want. Like that's so cool to me, like to build things at scale, to aim to like legitimately, Michaela, I promise you, 
on my deathbed, nobody is going to hear me say, well, as long as I impacted one person. Now, that doesn't mean I don't think that's rad for other people. Like if that's the thing that you care about and you want to be like really intimately involved with a small number of people, like that's rad. I'm so glad some people do that. But that just isn't my thing. Like I want to impact millions of people. And whether they know who I am or not is doesn't really matter to me. I just want to know, hey, I did these things and it echoed that largely. Yeah, that's cool. I, I started off that that's cool. I started off um I started off with the goal one single person, which is interesting. When I started um I started with a blog called Don't Eat That and I was just chronicling my food journey because I was like if if anyone else is suffering from the same weird autoimmune response and SSRIs and whatever, if anyone else out there is suffering as much as I'm suffering right now and I can help them not feel alone for one person, I would feel better. So I started with one, I started with one person. Um, but then my blog started picking up and kind of like the paleo community. And then I got greedy really quickly. It was like, Oh my God, if I helped one person, like I really helped one person. Then I really helped another person. I was like, Oh my God, I could be doing this for way more people. And that, that would be so much better. Um, but so I definitely got, got greedier about that, but I don't think it's greedy to want to help people or improve people's lives or reduce suffering from the lessons you've learned. I think that's no, admirable. I, I also think it's inter- agreed that it's admirable. And I think it's very interesting that we all get to live in a world where even if you categorize, like it, it is one, it's very easy to make me sound crazy. I've, I've become well aware of that. When I get quoted in, uh, you know, articles and things, I sound like a madman. So, but we all get to live in a world where some subset of people are crazy driven. Like there's just... I even refer to it as my sickness. Like I have a sickness to matter. Like I need to live a life of meaning and purpose. And when I don't matter, that's when I start to feel like there's something off in my life. And as hard as I have worked to build companies that other people, I mean, I get people write to me all the time about whether it was the physical transformations back at Quest or now the mental transformations with impact theory, like, you know, I mean, your family must have heard this so many times. You guys are intimately familiar with the idea of, hey, you saved my life. I was contemplating suicide. I encountered you, your ideas, whatever. I made this radical transformation. And that person has been able to leverage me and I'm sure countless other people that for whatever reason, like we just constantly pour ourselves into that thing that we care about. It could be sport, it could be business, it could be being a parent, whatever. But we all get to live in a world where there's, in some percentage of people, there's subconscious wiring to just go all out and to make every day count. And I just can't look at that Mm. through like a, a dirty lens. Yeah, neither can I. I. I think it's, I think it's unbelievable what's the amount of effort some people will put out there. And I think it's unbelievable how different people can be. Like, uh, well, I've got friends, like good friends and they're, and even my brother, like he's the, you know, lesser known Peterson. And he is, he has put his life together so well. It's unbelievable. And it's like, he's going to live longer than me for sure. Stable, (laughs) although his, his diet isn't my diet. So we'll see. But he, he's like, he's stable. He's happy. He's got the cutest little family and a dog. He lives by a park. 
near my parents. And he's just like put together and happy and reasonable. Like he doesn't seem to have this obsessive need for more. That's like a bit obsessive. He's just reasonable. He's happy where he's at. He wants to accomplish a little bit more, but like he wants to go to bed at a reasonable hour and not do anything that's verging on. Like one of the interesting things about people who push themselves is you can end up hurting yourself when you push yourself too hard, right? And it's really hard to learn, at least for me, it's hard to find the balance of pushing myself too hard, pushing myself just enough and then pushing myself too hard and burning out and just having these ups and downs and ups and downs. Um, and so I think you you either have the type of person that's like apt to push themselves too hard and hurt themselves, or you have the type of person who maybe has more of a reasonable approach and doesn't err into the side of hurting themselves. Like, do you end up working so much that you hurt yourself or do you have a pretty good handle on how much you should push yourself? This is exactly why I, despite that there are downsides to being self-aware, I would not trade a gram of it. Um, I never hurt myself. I never push myself too hard. I will never burn mm. out because really when it's, when it stops being fun, I stop. And so this is what I'm, ah. so I'm like captain hustle porn, like go, go, go. But what I, I want everyone to understand that I can do that because if on a random Tuesday, I'm like, this isn't fun. I'm feeling stressed. Then I, I actually will take time off. So doing less is always an option. It's always an option for me. It's always an option for everybody else. And anybody that tricks themselves into thinking that sometimes the right answer is stop, do less, pause, go fucking zone out, like go play a video game, have sex, masturbate, whatever. So it's like, because I trust myself to actually do that, because I don't like, I don't think accomplishments, like accomplishing in and of itself is not valuable going hard to turn as much of your potential into skill set that's interesting to me sincere pursuit to me is the name of the game so i don't care whether i achieve the goals that i set out for myself i care very much whether i sincerely attempt to get them but over everything is is my life joyful because if my life isn't joyful what am i doing so the only reason that i work as hard as i work is a I've constructed the company to be the exact thing that I would do even if nobody was paying me. Like, think about this for a second, Michaela. I'm actually making money by talking to you. I'm getting paid for this conversation. So this is deeply interesting to me, right? So I've constructed a life where the harder I go, I'm doing things I wanna do. So at Impact Theory, we write comic books, which I would do for free. So uh, we write screenplays, TV dramas, you know what I mean? Like we do all this stuff that I just love, it's like my deepest passions. And then I trust myself to stop, you know, a pause when I'm not yeah. having fun. What about when you were working at Quest? Was same it the same thing. setup or? A hundred percent. So what, so here's why. When I was in my twenties, I showed up every day and said, I'm here to get rich. Everything I was doing was just the stated goal was to get rich. And I was working at a company that I didn't, wasn't a bad company. I just didn't care about the products that we made. And so there I burned out there. I was working an insane number of hours and it stopped being fun. And I went in and quit and gave back $2 million worth of equity and like all this stuff. And in the end, 
my partners and I ended up staying together and we said, okay, the next company we're going to build is going to be completely predicated on what we could do and love every day, even if we were failing. Now, once you set your life up like that, then it becomes easy. So Quest was when I had learned that. So we had essentially, we didn't do it literally, but we had essentially made a pinky promise to each other that, hey, if this stops being fun, we'll change something. And Mm. because of that, I was having a great time, even though it was an obscene amount of work. Um, And then when it stopped being fun, I exited the company. So it was an amazing ride. And I didn't stay past when it was a thrill ride. And so, yeah, it's been, you know, like I tell my employees now, I have zero intention of selling impact theory. But if my life stops being joyful, I will sell impact theory. So you just have to, I don't know, have real clarity on one idea that you're having a biological experience. And ultimately, for all I know, I'm a brain in a vat somewhere. And so if that's true, and this is all fake, which I mean, essentially you are a brain in a vat, right? Your brain is housed in your skull and it runs this sort of virtual reality and it makes you feel things. But ultimately it's just about what, what do you feel? And so I optimize for feeling. It's Tom Bilyeu here. And if you are addicted to the relentless pursuit of greatness, then I've got something special for you guys. The Motivation Daily Podcast by Motiversity. It's your daily fix of motivation, inspiration, and wisdom featuring the best speeches and speakers on the planet. We cover it all. Life, business, relationships, discipline, purpose, mental health, sports, studying, focus, you name it. With exclusive speeches from heavy hitters like Coach Payne, Billy Allsbrooks, Marcus Taylor, Dr. Jessica Houston, Walter Bond, and more. If you're ready to take control, level up, or just crush your day, then Motivation Daily Podcast is your secret weapon. Search for the Motivation Daily Podcast and follow wherever you listen to amazing podcasts. If you strive to perform your best in life, bringing your energy and abilities into everything you do, then it only makes sense that you would want to be out on the road with that same power, agility, and performance that everyone expects from you. And there's no better option than the most desirable, advanced, and dynamically capable SUV yet, the third-generation Range Rover Sport. You guys know I love staying on the cutting edge with technology, and the Range Rover Sport's cabin features advanced technologies such as active noise cancellation and cabin air purification, a must, offering you and your family and friends new levels of comfort and refinement while traveling. The Range Rover Sport provides an instinctive drive with engaging on-road dynamics and redefines sporting luxury for the power, agility, and performance you demand in every area of your life. Explore the Range Rover Sport at LandRoverUSA.com. That's LandRoverUSA.com. One way I make sure my business is moving in the right direction is to ensure we are constantly becoming more efficient. Because in my experience, inefficiencies will eat away your profits and leave you with a dying business. But with the right technology, your business can get the insights it needs to become efficient and ultimately unstoppable. And that is why I recommend you check out NetSuite by Oracle. NetSuite is the number one cloud financial system bringing accounting, financial management, inventory, HR, all of it into one platform and one source of truth. 
You improve efficiency by bringing all your major business processes into one platform, slashing manual tasks and errors that are massively inefficient. Guys, inflation is no joke. So check out NetSuite and see how you can cut costs and boost performance at the same time, like the 37,000 companies that have already made the switch. By popular demand, NetSuite has extended its one-of-a-kind flexible financing program for a few more weeks. Do not wait. Head right now to netsuite.com slash theory. Again, that's netsuite.com slash theory. Get the information you need. Head to netsuite.com slash theory. Yeah, well, everything you said makes complete sense, and I know that, but I'm not very good at putting that into practice. So about about a month ago or two months ago, maybe it was three months ago, I think, um, I had a conversation with my dad and we both were like, you know, oh man, the last couple of years have been so awful. We have to make sure that everything we're doing is fun because we shouldn't be doing work, right? It's still work, but it should be fun. But there's been a bit of, because I took care of my dad and didn't focus on the business for about a year and a half, there's been a lot of catch up to do with implementing like tech and things I don't want to do and just have to do. And so I'm right now I'm in this stage where I'm kind of like pushing through a bunch of, it's almost like administrative tasks that I think if once I do, I will never have to do again. So I'm in, I'm in that period of time. Um, but I also realized that I'm, so conscientious that I'll just do work I don't want to do. And I'm so disagreeable that when people will point out that I'm just doing work I don't want to do, I'll ignore them and continue. And so I realized that recently and was like, oh, I should be really careful about pushing myself to do work I don't want to do because I'll just do it. Right. I don't mind the discomfort, but I do mind it. It drives me crazy, but like I'll still do it. So I need to err more on the side of remember this is a biological experience. Remember that this the entire point of this is joy. Um, I think I've had such a like rough time with and with being sick that I'm just like, no, like also having my dad as a dad, and he's like, Don't go after happiness. Go after meaning. But then you can err into the side of do hard work forever and then die, which is not what I'm going for. Um, but I think I'm also balancing that with just start kind of just starting off, kind of just starting off a business and needing to put all the tiny little annoying bits in place to make it work. But ideally yeah. that'll be over in the next three months. We'll see. It, I, I will give you some really bad news. It's never going to be over. And it's what Jeff Bezos refers to as overhead. Every no. job, Every job, no matter how much you love what you're building, there's some percentage of stuff that just you have to do that I isn't going to be fun, stuff. but you can get way better at the balance. So some of it is probably going to be you just spend too much time there and you don't realize what can be outsourced. And so once you get to the point yes. where it's not, yes. OK, I'm never going to get this to zero, but I want to do things that I'm uniquely qualified for and I want to get rid of the things that like basically anybody could do or doing this at a B level would be fine. Yes, I would do it better, but I don't enjoy doing it and I can outsource yeah. it to somebody. And so like, for instance, I hate contracts. I cannot tell you how much I despise oh God, reading le legalese. It's yeah. heinous. Everything about it is terrible. Yeah. But yeah. you realize, or at least I have realized that it's really hard to not 
pay attention to the contracts that matter. And so, you know, despite having a billion dollar company, it's like I was still reading contracts. So uh. I know that there's like there's no point at which something doesn't matter enough that I have to deal with it. So but you try to, you know, minimize, minimize, minimize. Yeah, I think I'm doing a pretty good job. I've just yeah, it's hard. It's tricky. It's tricky balancing these things. It's tricky not overworking. Uh, but. I'm still having it like I'm still having a ball with the podcast. It's I Your think podcast is really good, the, by the way. Thank you very much. I'm really, really, really enjoying it. Like every time I do a podcast, I'm like completely pumped up afterwards. I'm like, wow, I just talked to this amazing guy. I'm full of ideas. Like, and I would like everything I do to not everything I do is going to be like that, but I'd like to have that energy I get post podcast. Um, in as many aspects of my life as possible. And I know some of the things that just crush it. And as soon as I get, I get an administrative task, which is something I did almost, that I did full time for six months until I outsourced it for my dad. But that just crushes me. And it's like contract reading or anything finance related or anything that has to do with numbers um, or correcting like, correcting small things on social media that I'm like, you know, this tweet should have gone out with a link in, in the same tweet or this thumbnails a bit off. I hate that stuff so much. I think I've been overdoing it with that. And I need to outsource. That will definitely Maybe. be, I'm sure a big part of it. And then some of it is you mentioned earlier that you like solving problems. That's the big thing. Like if you're not an entrepreneur, you don't like quite understand, like why do people get excited about business? It's not necessarily that they're excited about business. It's problem solving. It's like figuring out a puzzle. Yeah, yeah. And so you're doing yeah. that all day and it does, it actually gets very, very addictive. Um, so yeah, you'll, you'll start solving more and more of those problems and spending less time on the things you hate and, and more time sort of reframing the, all right, this is painful, but I've gotten good. Like the thought that I now can read contracts and I trust myself more than I trust my attorneys. It's like, that's, yeah, uh, that's cool. it's a pretty powerful feeling to be like, okay, I can't be bamboozled. So that is strong magic as they say. Yeah. Now I want to talk yeah, about an, an, idea that we sort of touched on earlier, which is order and chaos. So obviously your dad has made um, that duality a sort of household term. What do you think about that? You know, when we were talking about how you structure your life and how you think about that stuff, and certainly in business, uh, it's a tug of war. Um, how do you think about finding, you know, when we talked about personality types, the joy is in the friction between the two, right? If everybody were the same, I don't think we'd have as interesting of a society as we have, given that there actually are personality differences and, um, you know, as long as we're not at war with each other. So how do you, how do you think about order and chaos and do you see them as masculine feminine or do you, um, conceptualize them totally differently? Uh, I probably react to that a bit intuitively. So, Hmm. Let me think. I like my life when it's a bit, I would say chaotic. Like I like traveling to new places and, and going to experience new things and kind of living in the unknown and jumping on business opportunity. Like, you know, what's going to happen if I do this, what's going to happen if I do that. And I think if you live your life too much in order, then you're not going to have any new opportunity because that's all foreign territory. And so foreign territory, I 
put that into chaos. Um, I probably have a difficult time navigating between the two. Like I said, I think I'm, I think I do well with a bit more order in my life. Um, because of your personal volatility? I think just because of the situations I've been thrown into. Like, I mean, the autoimmune disorder, SSRI withdrawal, my dad being sick, my mom being sick. So I'm probably just like, if the universe could give me a little bit more order, that would be great because they're throw- it's throwing a lot of chaos at me. That being said, when I get into something stable, I'm like, okay, I can't handle this. I'm bored. I need out. This is strangling me. So it's not just the universe. It's also me. Um, I don't, I haven't identified how to navigate between the two very well. I think I'm doing as best as I can at the moment. Like I'm, I have, you know, I'm running my dad's company. I have my own brand. I have a lot of opportunity. I seem to be healthy. People around me seem to be healthy. My kid is amazing. She's doing amazingly well. So I guess that's, that would be a good judge too. Whenever I'm freaking out about something, I'm like, oh, I can't handle this anymore. I'm doing too many things. I'm like, you know what? Scarlett's really happy. As long as that stays stable, I'm probably doing okay. So I don't know if that answered your question at all. The interesting thing about this format, so I do different types of shows, but in conversations, it's you know exploration. And it always feels dangerous. I don't know if you get this sense because your sort of personal brand, I think, is very different than the way that I built mine. But it always feels dangerous to me to play with ideas that I don't have any certainty around. Um, But I have found that when I avoid those topics, one, I don't grow. And then two, I feel like a coward. And so I didn't like that feeling. So um, in the sense that you're exploring something, it was perfect. Um, Okay, when you. When you think about the feeling of exploring a new idea. Yeah. um, Most of the people I have on my podcast are because I'm trying to, well, you do the same thing on yours, but it's, it's usually because I'm trying to explore something that I'm uncomfortable with. Um, I don't usually like to get into debates. Debates make me uncomfortable emotionally. I'm like, I don't want to argue with you. I've had enough arguments in my life. Um, But I, I like the, I think I like the discomfort yeah. Otherwise, I wouldn't be so like pokey online and controversial, and I, I must like it, right? Yeah, that's interesting. The reason I don't like it is, or the reason I should say that it feels dangerous is, I don't mind exploring a topic in terms of how somebody else feels about that topic, but in terms of like, oh, I've never really thought about you know male, female, male and female dynamics. Let me start pontificating about it. Like you can get yourself into hot water because that the out of context clip of you working through that idea will stay with you forever oh, in the age of yeah. the internet. And so that is, you know, as I think, and, and I really, okay. I am so conflicted. I try not to be conflicted about things in my life. I try to just make a decision and, and go with it. But I am legitimately conflicted with a lot of the business opportunities I've had as a budding media company have come because I have a public persona. Mm -hmm. And at the same time, as the brand grows, I want because we're just out there telling stories, right? So as the brand grows and you think about building the next Disney, I don't want to be encumbered. I don't want that brand encumbered by what people think about me. And so it's like, Mm -hmm. well, by having the world think something about me, I've leapfrogged ahead of other people. 
But at some point, I think it will become a liability. So I'm trying to like walk this really fine line of like, you know, exploring these ideas, feeling the way I want to feel as a person, you know, that I'm brave enough to um, think through very tricky, thorny ideas that matter, right? I'm not a, I'm not contentious by nature. I don't like to fight for the sake of fighting. I'm not a contrarian, but that is, um, you know, I want to feel like I'm brave enough to talk about these things in a way that will actually help somebody in their life, which ultimately is my goal. Yeah. That's, that's really tricky to navigate because it's, that's also not just, you know, you being cowardly or anything. That's actually you thinking because people can take sound bites and spread it around and you end up teaching or making people believe something that isn't true because of how you sounded then when you were trying to explore something and people can't make mistakes online without being destroyed for whatever mistake they made. And if you can't make mistakes, then you can't learn very well. So, so then there's that. It's, it's really tricky. I don't have a, I think I'm disagreeable enough that I don't care. Like, what are you, like, what are you going to do? Bring it internet. <laughs> yeah, that is, uh, yeah, that's, that's interesting. If I didn't have the, the quote unquote baggage of the brand and what I know I'm trying to do with it, I think I'd be a lot more cavalier. It's like, I've already been so successful financially. I'm never going to starve to death. I don't have to worry about any of that. But, um, yeah, I do think about it in terms of whether or not it's good for the brand. Speaking of brands, one thing that you're really known for that we haven't touched on is diet. You mentioned something earlier that I thought I want to ask about that. But now that it's much later into the episode and we will have weeded through a lot of uh, sort of casuals, I want to ask, you said that your daughter's diet is really good. What is your daughter's diet? Is she eating beef and salt? Oh, God, no. That would be insane. Like eating beef and salt sucks. It fixed all my health problems, and I can I can full on say that it fixed all my health problems. But it wasn't fun. It sucks. I miss foods. So no, I I am so careful with her diet though. Like I'm the most neurotic mother on the planet, probably with her diet because I had no idea how much of my issues were genetic. Like they're not obviously genetic. I don't have some weird genetic glitch that I'm aware of, um, but. I was like, well, this depression came down on my dad's side. My mom has arthritis, um, celiac disease is in there somewhere, or at least a wheat sensitivity. So I was like, how much of this is genetic? Um, and I'm so, I was so sick. Um, I was like, how much of that could I pass on to Scarlett? Uh, whether that's through like microbiome or genes or whatever. And I was like, I don't want to trigger anything um, when she's young. So then do you feed little kids a whole bunch of foods so that you dampen down their immune system or do you feed them the foods you think are healthy and I went the route of feeding her the foods I thought were healthy and so I breastfed for a long time we started out with introducing like meat and meat fat because that was pretty similar to breast milk I was like that's a pretty easy transition breast milk meat fat meat and then really slowly started to introduce more foods and she's healthy so she's three and a half super healthy, like I've said, but she can kind of identify when she's eating too much of something. So right now she eats like, she mainly eats meat and she has some vegetables and some fruit. She doesn't have dairy. She doesn't have grain. She doesn't have any processed foods. Um, she doesn't do legumes. It's basically vegetables, fruit, and meat. And she's thrilled with that. She doesn't drink juice. She drinks water, right? So it's pretty, it's pretty strict. 
But if she eats too much fruit, she'll get a bit bloated and she knows that she ate too much fruit, right? So I figured that if I had been little and I had been more restricted in my diet, maybe until I was like six or seven, I think I probably would have been able to intuitively eat, right? So when I started cutting things out when I was 23 and I started to intuitively eat and say, okay, I ate this and it makes me feel this way, I think you have to get to a certain age to be able to do that. I don't think two-year-olds can do that. I think if you give two-year-olds candy, they're going to feast on candy, right? So I don't think you can say, oh, just, you know, just eat a little bit of candy to a two-year-old. So I think if you feed them and you teach them to eat intuitively, I figure by the time she's in school and she goes over to people's houses and she eats their food, my hope is that if she ends up not feeling good because of something she ate, she'll be kind of like clear enough and clean enough that she'll be able to identify that herself and then she can make her own decisions. But until she's, you know, five or so, I'm prioritizing like healthy fats, a lot of meat, vegetables and limiting. She, she, she still eats fruit, but she can't like gorge on fruit. And like I said, she drinks water. So I guess we'll see how that turns out. But at the moment, it's great. She had sugar once in sausages that my mom bought when she was two, when she was just eating meat. And she turned into one of those, you know, those tantrum children that you see in airports and you're like, what is wrong with their parents that are just screaming? She screamed like that in that like angry for like a day after the sausages. And it was not very much sugar in those sausages. Yeah, and I was like, whoa, I do not want that. Like that's terrifying. The tantrum-y toddler screams. She doesn't have tantrums. She'll get overtired and cry, but she doesn't have tantrums. I've never met a toddler that doesn't have tantrums. I'm mm. like, how much of tantrums is sugar? I don't know, but Scarlet seems to be doing great, so I'm just going to keep doing this. That's interesting. Yeah, when people come to me and you know they have a problem, hey, I'm anxious, hey, I'm depressed, uh, my cat died, whatever, I'm like, it, it's your diet, I guarantee. But Tom, it's static on my TV. Yeah. I don't care. It's your diet. I just promise you. And I came to that you know, not, I did not go through what you have gone through, not by any stretch of the imagination, but watching what my wife went through, which was brutal. And I actually worried at one point she was going to die. I was like, uh, yeah, what you eat matters. It matters a lot. What you eat, eight matters. And I never thought that I would say that. So it's, yeah. Could tantrums be tied to diet? Absolutely. It is startling how much is tied to diet. Yeah. It is. It's scary. And well, I figure you want to feed your kid the healthiest thing you can, right? And kids don't need candy. They don't even remember anything below the age of four. Why do you need to feed them candy? Like if that's not good for them, why bother do, doing that? So I don't do that. And Scarlett's doing very well. And how do you handle having things in the house that you can't eat? Uh... I don't really have cravings anymore. So I've been doing just meat since 2017. And I have, I now have wild salmon and sardines and I had like caviar today, which was wonderful. And I'll eat chicken rarely. So I'm not stuck on all beef. Um, and I haven't been for, for people that don't know your diet, it's probably worth a super quick thumbnail sketch. So I had, juvenile rheumatoid arthritis, two joints replaced. I was on SSRIs for bipolar type two. 
I went on a paleo diet when I was 23 and it massively improved my symptoms enough that I stopped taking all my medication. I had extremely severe SSRI withdrawal, which is something I didn't know existed. And it was horrible. And I started reacting to like light and sound and temperature sensitivity. Like I was sensitive to everything and my sensitivity to carbs skyrocketed. I figured out eventually that an all meat diet alleviated the SSRI withdrawal and eliminated the arthritis that had been reduced by the paleo diet initially. So I went on an all beef diet because I was desperate to find one food that I didn't react to and it was beef. So I went on an all beef diet December, 2017 and in about a month, my arthritis was better. My skin cleared up in six weeks, the SSRI withdrawal lessened dramatically. So the depression and that doomy feeling went away in five months. The lingering anxiety went away, and I've been on that um, since December 2017, but I've managed to reintroduce lamb. Lamb would have been totally fine at the same time as beef. I now know that, um, but I have lamb, wild fish, like I said. I've tried to reintroduce plants because I'm hoping that at some point in the future, my immune system will calm down, and it'll allow me to eat some pretty innocuous plants. Like People shouldn't really react to a carrot. However, my immune system is not quite at that point. So if I do try and reintroduce plants, um, I tried like pressure cooked peeled apples. Like I tried really like baby food mm. and I ended up getting arthritis after a few weeks of, of eating that kind of food. Um, my assumption is I have some sort of um, something triggered my immune system or is continuing to trigger it like a bacterial something that I can't test for. And that's giving me this reaction. But an all meat diet completely transformed my life. I'm not vitamin deficient. I don't supplement with anything other than like salt and some potassium electrolytes. Uh, and that's the backstory. So that's why I was very careful with what Scarlett eats and having other food in the house doesn't seem to bother me because I don't have cravings anymore. So mm. if I get really hungry and by that, I mean like if I don't eat for a day and a half, then I'll start to like look at fruit and things and be like, oh yeah, I wish I could eat fruit. But if I'm like in a good place, I don't really care. I like how easy it is. Like I just air fry steak. I eat a steak like twice a day. I don't have to think about food. I don't have to grocery shop. Like it reduces the complexity in my life. I don't have an autoimmune disorder. I'm not on any medication. I'm healthy. So I think I'm thankful enough to have the diet that I don't care that there's other food around. And I'm happy that the people who are around me don't have to have the same diet as me and don't have to eat that way. Like I wouldn't wish it on somebody. So if they're enjoying their food, great. Ideally, I will be there at some point, which I think I will. I'll figure it out eventually, but I'm not in that much of a rush. Have you ever considered a fecal microbial transplant? Yeah, I've done it actually. I, oh, I had did a it help? C, C. difficile. Um, <laughs> this is going to be controversial, <laughs> but I'll share it with you guys anyway. So I went to I went to the Taymount Clinic. Um, I actually got in trouble for this, but I, I went to the Taymount Clinic, and they do uh, FMT transplants for people who have autoimmune disorders or autism or like a ton of different things. And I had a C. difficile infection really badly, um, and antibiotics. I didn't want to try antibiotics because that was the reason I had the C. difficile infection. Mm. And I did 10 FMT transplants and nothing happened. Um, and then I, so I had this infection and it was like four months later 
And I was like, this is getting bad. I'm on the verge of hospitalization. And so I started doing research into it and I found this protocol for C. difficile. If you have, if, if the FMT transplants aren't working, then it might be a problem. I figured maybe it was a problem in my small intestine. How would you get FMT transplants to a small intestine? So I found a protocol online where you double encapsulate. I actually put this on YouTube. You double encapsulate uh, the microbiota from FMT samples and swallow it. And if you double encapsulate it, then it makes it to your small intestine. And I fixed it in one day. Whoa. So, so yeah, I've tried it and it completely fixed the C. diff problem. So I think if people have like gut damage and imbalances there and they can't tolerate probiotics, which I can't, like if I take, take probiotics, I get arthritis, but that worked. So I've done that a number of times to try and rebalance my microbiome, which I figure is out of whack and that's causing some problems, but it hasn't allowed me to expand my diet. That is so interesting. So <laughs> I'm, I am beyond fascinated by FMT because of what my wife went through. Uh, yeah. why is what you just said controversial though? I don't know because people aren't thinking, but like, what do they actually I get guess, mad at? Like, um, I, people got mad at me for giving out medical advice, even though I was like, uh. like Jesus, C. diff. I had people contacting me because I talked about having C. diff and I had people contact me from the hospital being like, I'm dying. People die from that. And mm -hmm. I was like, well, tell your doctor to read this research paper and do that. Sorry if they're not figuring it out. Anyway, that's a sore spot. I'm still annoyed about that. It's like I just, I just read a paper online and then did it and it worked. Um, yeah, I, yeah. Uh, I, it is admittedly people need to be careful giving medical advice, but holy hell the number of things that people go through and they have no idea what to do to get out of it. If the N of ones aren't at least speaking up saying, Hey, N of one, do your own research, but here is my experience. Uh, yeah, that's crazy that they would be upset by that. So I've been obsessed with FMTs. Um, I knew that you could do encapsulated and I knew that you could do, um, basically like reverse enemas, but I, I, I had actually asked somebody and apparently I didn't understand their answer or something. I had said like, how do you know like where you're placing it? Because different microbes should be in the small intestine versus mm -hmm. the large intestine. And yeah, they made it sound like, oh, it's so easy. <laughs> but yeah, the fact that you would take a tablet for one, that makes more sense. Yeah, and a lot of people, especially if they've already tried to fix their diet and they're still suffering from food sensitivities or uh, small intestinal bacterial overgrowths like C. diff or anything else, if they do FMT enemas, it's not going to do anything because it stays in your colon. And mm -hmm. if your problem is in the small intestine, the only way you can get through it, get to it is orally or there's studies I've read that do intranasally, but I don't know why you'd want to do that. Um, oh. So... Yeah, but that would be in a hospital. But anyway, so these protocols do exist. But um, I think FMT is so new that most people just think, oh, you know, enema. But that doesn't work for a lot of people who have this because it's in their small intestine. Wow, that is so, so, so interesting. Man, Michaela, this has been an absolute <laughs> wild ride. I did not expect to end on shit, but hey, uh, <laughs> there we go. It is so fascinating. I'm so grateful that you're putting out as much information as you are. 
Um, in terms of your diet, I know that you're writing a book on the whole crazy journey. I am. And yeah. uh, hopefully when that comes out, we'll get a chance to speak again. Um, but I really that think that fantastic. as time goes on, you are going to be known for a lot more than just diet. Um, it's your, like I said earlier, your podcast is fascinating. The Opposing Views thing, the show that you do uh, is really, really exceptional. Where can people connect with you to follow along in your journey? Um, I would say YouTube. So it's youtube.com slash Michaela Peterson videos or just Michaela Peterson on YouTube. Instagram is Michaela Peterson. Twitter is Michaela Alexis. Uh, but I'm probably most interesting on YouTube unless you want to see bikini photos every three months. And then that would be Instagram. That is perfect. Yeah, guys, trust me when I say um, the content that she's putting out is really phenomenal. And when I mean, if you're you made it this far in the show, you understand how she thinks through things. Very thoughtful. Um, she's carved out a very interesting niche for herself in the podcasting world that I think is going to continue to grow and grow and grow and be massive. Um, so if you're not already following her, be sure to do so. And speaking of things you should be following, if you haven't already, be sure to subscribe. And until next time, my friends, be legendary. Take care.